0: Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the cast Very full episode, as we've had almost exclusively here throughout the summer. Got some great listener questions. Um, obviously, the whole world of college athletics went through a pretty significant landscape shift yesterday with the implementation of name, image, and likeness. Um, still a lot of questions to be answered there overall, but Bud and I will jump into it, give you our opinion on it overall and how it could impact Florida State. Um, so, Bud, let's, uh, let's jump into it, man. Like I said, not, uh, not lacking subject matter or anything else uh, during the summer, and we've got what hopefully will be another full and uh, enjoyable episode for the, for the audience here.
1: Yeah, man, I, I was really interested to see this. Uh, we are not going to be a show that, t- at least unless I'm, I'm wrong about this, we're not going to be a show that talks name, image, and likeness every week. Personally, just based on the traffic, pa- traffic patterns that I've seen with our website and with search trends and whatnot, I anticipate that name, image, and likeness is going to be something that a lot of fans care about initially, as in Thursday when it officially started. Probably this first offseason, they will care about it when somebody breaks through some, some type of ceiling, like when you know, Bowden and Spurrier were some of the first to get the, the first million-dollar coaching contract. That was news. And they'll care about it to the extent it impacts recruiting. But like, man, nobody gives a damn who the, what, what, what you know, truck that the 100th best player in the NCAA decides to drive. And that'll kind of be the same way here, I think, ultimately. But we'll still talk about it from time to time. I just thought it's a, it's a fascinating time for the sport. You know, the, the sport got way too big uh, without compensating its labor. Um, you, you basically have these universities having to funnel all this money in $100 million buildings and $10 million coaching salaries to, to try to cry poor and show they don't make a profit uh, to avoid paying their athletes and they still
0: don't have to pay their athletes immediately and and perhaps super inflated non-revenue coaching salaries as well i mean it is it has permeated the whole the whole scene um so yeah so let's just jump into it here like you said this is not going to be uh something that i think we talk about all the time but uh we would probably be doing the listener injustice not to uh to give it some focus uh, based off the, the newness of it and, and just the general impact that it could and, and probably will have on collegiate athletics. How much success, like, you, you want to you go FSU specific
1: here? Do you want to go kind of what are we expecting guys to actually get for their, uh, for their stuff? Um, I, I'm interested to see. I think FSU's Apex program is probably pretty solid. There's not many guys on this team who businesses are going to want to sponsor. In fact, I know a sponsor who's got hit up by multiple players and he like a potential sponsor. And he's texted us. Why the hell would I give these guys money? I, I, I don't even know who the, who the people in, in these pictures are fans aren't going to come out to to meet and greet with this guy or, or that guy. Like there's nobody on this team
0: really worth sponsoring. I think um, yeah, that was certainly something I was going to get to. I, I don't know that this is a uh, necessarily Florida state specific either. I mean, i anecdotal evidence is probably the worst type of evidence right so put this through a, a filter and, and you can do with it what you, what you want but I every person that I've talked to that I think is kind of a, a natural fit for some of this uh, from the sponsorship side from the sponsorship side has expressed um, some concern or you know lack of eagerness to get involved and, and that stems from a, uh, a family that I went to high school here with that owns a large series of, of car dealerships in Atlanta. It, it tends to people that are in Tallahassee. I just, I don't know that there's quite the immediate fit that a lot of people think there are. And I also think some of these athletes are probably asking for a little too much and they'll figure out, you know, that, that'll, that's a process that'll play itself out and, you know, guys will figure out what exactly the landscape looks like. Uh, but to bring it back to Florida state at this point, when talking about football, anyway, uh, you're right. There is a, there's a lack of real, you know, marketable, uh, individuals that are, you know, going to push for large sponsorships. I mean, I would, I would, uh, this is both Florida state and a, and a broader recommendation. I mean, I think most of these kids are better off probably going in a more direct route of like creating a twitch platform creating a patreon uh, i'm i'm kind of half joking half serious but there's probably some former version of an only fans for athletes that'll come about i don't know like the the sponsorships that a lot of people thought like oh the car dealerships stuff like that i'm sure that'll exist to an extent uh but i don't know that the the market is there at least in tallahassee like maybe people would have
1: Yeah, and I don't want to make this about the Tallahassee businesses saying the market's not there. I think it's about the players on this team, right? Like, there's not a lot of guys on this team who fans are really into, you know? Um, If you all of a sudden, you put names on the back of jerseys instead of numbers, do you think anybody's jersey on this team would really sell that much?
0: Who do you think would be the highest selling jersey? Maybe Amari Gaynor because he's a local guy. I think it'd probably be Jordan Travis. And Jordan Travis is likely not going to be a starting quarterback this year. So they they do have one guy I think who is incredibly marketable, if he had stayed
1: at UCF, and that's McKenzie Milton because UCF fans have memories attached to him, you know. It so he went to uh, he had like a signing uh, thing on Thursday night along with uh, Jordan Travis, Devontae Love, Taylor, and a couple other guys who I honestly I was like, wait, who is that, you know, by by, by face. Some, some folks showed up. I don't think it was a, a packed house or anything. If he does that at the Oviedo location of the establishment he went to here in, in Orlando, I think he probably gets a, a pretty you know, hero's welcome and, and, and line out the door for autographs and whatnot just because you know, the, the, the kid almost lost his leg playing for their team, and, and they, they think he won a national title for them. I think, ultimately, there will be guys on FSU's team in the future who can make a lot of money on this. Uh, but the dudes on this team right now who have the big social media followings don't necessarily match up with the best players. And a lot of the best players in this team are the guys who have transferred in. So the fans have no real emotional attachment to them or memories of them playing in an FSU jersey. So there's kind of this weird thing when your team is like, when your best players are for the most part transfers here to where like there's not a lot of, of marketing cachet they have right now.
0: Well, it's going to be a very, very much a lagging, uh, you know, success is going to come after success on the field uh, for the vast majority of these kids. I mean, like when I think back historically as to who at Florida state would have done particularly well, had this been in play Dalvin cook, I mean, Dalvin cook, uh, we were talking about him before his final year at Florida state as being the best running back in the history of the program. Okay. That guy would have done very well. It was not a one year thing. Uh, Jalen obviously would have had success work done w- returning a senior year. I mean, it's going to take you know you're going to have to build up a little bit of cachet uh, and still kind of be in that market for this to really be a lucrative uh, operation for a lot of these kids. So uh, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, you know, it's whenever there's a new topic of discussion like this, there's all kinds of hot takes and things thrown around. I'll be fascinated to see the first athlete that makes a million dollars off this. But I I think that, I I think I've seen some figures. I think it'll be a woman. Yeah. I think it may well be. And I've I've seen some figures thrown around that, uh, you know, Oh, these guys are going to make a few million here. they no, 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 they're not. I I'll be shocked to see, show me the first football player that makes more than $350,000. I mean, I I would be, uh, there may be two to three kids that have the ability to do that out of the gate. You know, Ingram, the, the thing is... It doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. I, right. I don't mean to Like These kids don't have to make $220,000 for this to be a good thing. Um, I, so please don't get that skewed. I'm, I'm all for this. Should have happened a long time ago. Don't hesitate or don't translate my skepticism as to some of these kids being able to uh, you know, leverage this and monetize it for me saying that this shouldn't happen or, or shouldn't be in play.
1: The, the thing is, and I agree with you there, for most college football players, College is actually a, a decent deal. For some of them, like at the bottom of the roster, it's a great deal. For the top half of the roster, it's probably not a very good deal, especially because they're not actually compensated monetarily by the university. They, they get their education, but I mean, that's, that kind of pales in comparison to what they're putting out on an hourly basis and also on a physical injury risk basis. For the very best college football players, college is a terrible deal. And those are the guys who likely will be the ones compensated. This is not going to be an even split. I think there are going to be many cases where one player out-earns the rest of the team combined. As he should, because that's his, likely his value to the team, to the market, because he's more proven. That's that's my guess. I'm also interested in some of these business models. Like you said, you would go, you know, a, a Twitch, a YouTube, and OnlyFans. I, I totally agree. I, I think there is... Um, there's a large market of people who are playing on these kids' vanity, right? with, "Hey, I'll design you a logo if, if, if you throw me some bucks." I mean, cool, but the thing is, all these kids have a logo now. They look almost all the same, or very similar, right? They're all like they, they, they look like the Cam Newton logo or, or the Tom Brady logo just with, with different initials. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see like, can Cam McDonald, how many T-shirts with his logo is he going to sell? Like Cam McDonald's not a major pro prospect. I may be generous and call him a pro prospect. At all. And when like, he's not famous, I guarantee you the vast, vast majority of the people in the stadium would not recognize him with his helmet off. Right? Like I know diehards of the, like fans of his team who texted me and they said, okay, who is this in his picture? And it's like, well, that's Cam McDonald, but I, I'm paid to cover the team. I know most fans probably don't. How many t-shirts is he going to sell with his logo on, you know, it, as far as his actual market value. Now, I do think there's a bit of a gray area here that the NCAA is going to have a hard time, you know, policing. And I don't think they should try to police it at all. I just think it should be an open market. But if you're a booster and you want to support a player who's selling t-shirts, what's to stop you from buying a thousand t-shirts? Okay. And then donating those t-shirts to some charity as a write-off. You've been able to funnel funnel money to your favorite player legally, right? Maybe to keep him from transferring or uh you know, well, yeah, to keep him from transferring or or just because you maybe you promised him that as a recruit. And you're getting a, you know, you're, you're getting a it off on your taxes because you donated a bunch of bunch of clothing to a charity. We already know this this happens a ton under the table. A lot of this is just gonna be more legal ways to do it or, you know, less uh, I shouldn't say legal, because it, it's never been illegal. Uh, just, you know, ways that that do not run afoul of the instability rules quite as much. And uh, I think we'll encourage more people
0: to get involved in the game. Yeah. I would, I would dissuade almost any kid from getting involved in merchandise. I mean, it's just the scale there does not exist unless there's a situation like what you're talking about. I mean, look, if you're selling a shirt and you're like the fulfillment of it, <clears throat> everything that goes involved, I don't know how much you're pricing these things at, but for the most part, you don't make anywhere from four to $14 on a shirt. Okay. Figure out how much of that you've got to sell, to even make any kind of significant money at all. Uh, and you know, maybe you are the type of player that old, uh, you know, Billy big bucks will buy a thousand of your long sleeve, uh, XLs and, and donate it to some charity. And that'd be great for you. I, I know it's cool to have your name on stuff. I know it's cool to build out a logo and, and, uh, come up with a, a line of clothes. I just, I think it's uh, going to be a disappointing experience for many.
1: So the other thing I wanted to bring up is if I was a company, I would have jumped on this immediately, right? Because I'm getting all this free press in ESPN, in Sports Illustrated, on 24-7 Sports because I, I decided to sponsor Eric King and the other Safety for whatever moving company. I'm not going to give them free advertising on the pod and mention them, but like they're like, hey, we, we, we paid these guys $20,000 each to be spokespeople for our moving company. The value is not in getting Derek King and, and the Miami Safety to be your sponsors. The value is in realizing that if you go big early, you're going to get written up in all these outlets. The value of being mentioned as the first like major company to sponsor these folks in an actual website article, you're basically tricking the websites into giving you free advertising by mentioning you. That's the real value for that moving company. That's the value for for Petsmart. Yeah, right. Petsmart. That was a brilliant one. I was watching sponsor the Arkansas receiver. That thing's going to go viral. Like, it's not because the receiver's good. It's because like it's a cute picture of him and his puppy, you know, and because it's, it's a new thing. If they do this in two months, I don't think that happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. The the being first at the gate with it. I was watching CNBC yesterday. They had uh, Boost Mobile CEO for six minutes on to talk about the fact that they signed these two uh, female twin basketball players. They talked about the twins for about thirty seconds, and then the CEO proceeded to talk on CNBC about how they're have all this uh, you know, great room for growth and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, this is just a, this is just a damn advertisement for Boost Mobile. Good for them. I mean, uh, no, you're absolutely right about that. The, the play here is to, to get involved early out of the gate and then you know, reap some of the ancillary benefits uh, that comes with media trying to figure out exactly who and how this is going to work. So did you look at
1: some of these prices for uh, Milton, Milton and King and all these guys on Dreamfield? I did pull up
0: that uh, website and I took a quick look at it. Yeah.
1: And so this is a, a website that basically they're, they're, it's like a portal to book athletes, just like Influencer
0: or Open Doors or whatever. Um, is this competing with Apex? Have you figured that out? I, that I don't know. Um, I, don't, I, I didn't initially read it to be the case, uh, but I don't know that. $2,000 appearance fee, it looks like,
1: if I want to book Mackenzie Milton to do something per hour, 2,000 per hour. No
0: chance. Uh, I mean, if he can get it, great. I, I don't, I don't want to, yeah, per hour. I don't want to sound like a, a hater, but I just, I don't see the market for that and haven't talked to people, again, both in Atlanta, East Tennessee, uh, tied to the, the Tennessee program. I, you know, the the value is, is not present for what some of these kids are asking. And again, that's fine. You got to, you know, if, if you go into it, job interview and ask for $89,000 and the company comes back with 75 or something like that, then maybe that's a good way to play it. Uh, but I, I do think that over time, this kind of landscape will level out and kids will get a little bit better idea as to uh, what their value is and, and you know, where people's interest lies. There,
1: there are a couple kids I can think of who could, could fetch $2,000 an hour for an appearance fee. The, the one that most obviously stands out to me is if I, if I, if, if let's say Madison social shout out to our sponsor, Madso. So l- let's say they were in Gainesville. Right. And what's, what's a dead night for a restaurant. Oftentimes Monday night is, is kind of dead
0: Monday and Tuesday.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and take Tuesday. What if we had Tim Tebow Tuesday, you know, twice a year or something like that for them spending two grand on that, that makes some sense. Because you you know you may be at sixty percent capacity on a Tuesday night. If you have Tim Tebow Tuesday, you're probably going to be at one hundred percent capacity. And it also gets you written up in the paper. Most likely, it's it's some additional free advertising. You're going to see it on social media. That that I could see happening. But I agree with you. This is this is just the market, man. Guys are going to going to list these outrageous prices. People are going to realize, oh my god. I could I could sponsor a podcast that reaches 3 million people who are a captive audience with, with, with a tremendous consumption rate, like the cast, you know, or I could spend $2,000 for an hour of a quarterback who just transferred here at a bar. What are you going to do? I think the choice is clear right now given these prices. However, if they drop their prices significantly relative to their actual market value, or maybe they won't have to. Maybe some folks will will love the novelty of it and, and pay them. I hope they do, to be honest. I think a couple of these guys, if they're smart and they really hustle and they make their their play different, aka not sending out the exact same white lettering on black background, hey, name, image, and likeness is coming, if you want to sponsor me, hit me up uh, type thing, and not sending unpersonalized generic form letters via DM to every company that, that you can figure out. Uh, if they personalize stuff, if they pitch why they'd be a good fit for a business, and I don't mean personalize, like make your own logo and, and, and merch brand because there's like a thousand new merch brands as of yesterday <laughs> somehow. But really personalizing your, your sales pitch, why you'd be a good pitch man or woman for a business. I bet you some of these guys could make like, you know, 500, a month. Some of the better ones could probably make a little more than a thousand a month.
0: $2,000 per hour? I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah, certainly. So it's, uh, you know, I, both of us are all, are all for this. I think it's great. I do think it's going to teach kids, uh, some life lessons a little bit earlier. Uh, a lot of these kids, you know, haven't heard no a whole lot in their life. They're, they're going to figure that out, deal with it. I mean, you know, look, <laughs> I'm a, a reasonably well accomplished professional and I, I still struggle when I'm, when I hear no from people. I mean, it's a, it's a challenge. And, um, uh, some of these kids will, will find that to be a, Probably something that stings at a level that they're you know not aware of. I think that I'll be fascinated to see the first sponsorship lost, bud. Whether it be uh, a kid's play doesn't translate to what the sponsor thought it would. Whether it be the kids' actions off the field, on the field, whatever. Uh, bring that back. Uh, I'm just very curious to see how that happens and and kind of how that situation plays out. And then I th- I think you haven't had a chance to listen to this, but I think you referenced this. On, a, uh, on the national pod you do cover three, you know a lot of these kids need to be careful with some of this branding and, and imaging that they're creating not to walk in the world of copyright infringement or IP infringement or other things. I mean, there's just this just opens up the window to more adult, you know consequences and repercussions for kids that haven't otherwise had that. And, and again, they should absolutely have all these avenues. Uh, to take, I'm just pointing out some of the things that may happen as a byproduct of it.
1: Yeah, like I, I really laugh at people like, "Oh my God, they're going to pay taxes." I'm like they're already 18. You, you guys don't think these guys pay any taxes? They at least file, saying that they don't have any income. Like they're it's not that hard to get TurboTax or or, or an accountant, right? And do your taxes. We we do it. Like we 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 did it when we were a lot lot younger. Anybody who, who's their age is a college student who actually is able to get a job by rule they have to pay taxes. So I I don't buy that argument, but I do think you're right. Some of these guys right now routinely take photos without credit. And I don't know if people realize this, so I'll quick explainer here. The owner of the photo is the photographer, not the subject in the photo. So just because there's a photo of you out there on the internet does not mean that you can take it and use it. Now, there's there's a lot of exceptions for uh, fair use. There's kind of like the newsworthiness exception. There's you know, sort of the creative, artistic one. But if you're using it for a commercial purpose in your advertising and you don't compensate the photographer, uh, you're likely to get sued. Some of these photogs are basically just copyright trolls. And I don't blame them because you know their, their work is devalued a little bit now because everybody has an iPhone 12 that takes amazing shots. Uh, so kids are going to have to watch out for that. Also, like Graham Mertz, his logo, uh, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it, I can't say it won't, his logo looks remarkably similar to a video game company logo, <laughs> like really, really similar. It actually might be an interesting strategy to create a logo that's definitely too similar. Get written up, get written up by media, get all this attention from your fans and sort of the sympathy from your fans for, "Oh man, just college kid trying to make a buck." I'll change it and then maybe have a couple of boosters sponsor you after that. If that's what he's doing, that's brilliant. But after a while, that's probably not going to work. So. Kids are going to, have to be careful about this stuff, but this is a learning process, man. This is this is our, our market at work.
0: Definitely, we do have a little bit of a, a disagreement here. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I I am concerned with kids a little bit from the tax angle and in how they deal and their ability to deal with multiple ten ninety nines and stuff like that. I mean, they, they they're you don't think they're going to set their money aside? Well, no, I don't think they're going to set their money aside. I don't think they're going to take the money out uh, and <laughs> and uh, carve out the tax part of it. And I think you know, some kids, if you if you're successful enough uh that it's a hey, look if you're in a place where you need to consult a tax professional good for you that means you you've done this uh enough times and to an extent that you've brought some money in and i would highly encourage any kid that does that to uh you know spend the spend the small amount of coin that it is to make sure that you're lined up right and uh not going to run afoul with the law with how you uh, go about through the uh the tax process i, I agree with you on that. Um...
1: You know somebody who I think actually could make a whole lot of money on this. And by the way, Milton Milton via the social media route will have a shot to make money. I, I'm just saying, two thousand dollars for an appearance fee is uh, is probably asking too much. But he has seventy thousand followers on Instagram. That's something that doesn't have to be portable just to the FSU market. Like, are most of those followers FSU fans or are they UCF fans? Probably UCF fans. You know, he's been here for six months. He was at UCF for like four years. And hell a lot of them don't live in, in either spot, but at $70,000 dollars per Instagram post, if you do it right and you're good at it, you, you can make a couple thousand a month, potentially, you know, if, if you really, really hustle. Um, like I, I was looking at what my tweets were worth the other day, and it said, I think 170 to 270, which that's great in theory if you can get it, but I don't know a whole lot of companies that are paying me 270 dollars per tweet yeah I, I, there's a lot there's a lot to this, but I think Travis Hunter really could make a lot of money doing this um, and there's some interesting questions to be asked here because so the NCAA is basically silent on whether you can recruits can monetize Nil. You would think just because of how the NCAA operates, they would say no, but they basically just threw their hands up on this because they procrastinated for for five years essentially, and then eventually said, all right, we're just going to waive the amateurism rule in some ways but You do have to check with state and local law. And you also have to check with like FHSAA or what's, what's Georgia's association, Georgia GHSAA, I'm guessing. So you'd have to check to make sure you didn't compromise your eligibility there. If you care, you know, now some of these recruits are going to be big enough to where, hell man, I'm cashing in right now. If, 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 you know, state of Georgia, if you want to call, call me on this, say, Hey, you can't play high school ball because you're getting endorsements cool, man, I'll go to IMG. Guess what? IMG is not actually regulated by the FHSA. You know, they don't play a state of Florida schedule. They rent the rest from them from, from the local group that they're, they're in like Sarasota Bradenton. But other than that, like they're not really required to abide by FHSA rules. So, you know, just go ahead, state of Georgia. Somebody call call his bluff. That would be really interesting. That That's something we're going to see coming too. I, I do think
0: recruits are going to start to get uh, decent NIL money if they have a big time following no I mean absolutely I, I think that's uh the case and I, I again I think it's just it's a matter of when you get on a fan base's radar and how long you're on it and for many Travis Hunter probably resonates more than almost any player that's on the roster right now um so no I think you're right about that that's somebody that could absolutely make a ton of money and um you know, would probably have a different response than some of the people that we've talked to as far as uh, interest in sponsoring. So anything else you want to touch on before we, uh, we you know, we ship out of the NIL conversation? We do have some listener questions uh, tied to it, so we won't be leaving it entirely, but that's kind of uh, what we had as far as some of the notes that we wanted to touch on.
1: Uh, I, I am interested in, um, so w- when the school's these guys are going to create some NFT moments, right? I know Milton has, has an NFT coming out. NFT, non-fungible token. It's basically like a piece of digital art that cannot be copied, and uh, every time it's resold, the, the originator gets gets a little portion of that. But if you if you create an NFT, obviously most of these schools are going to give you um, the photo or or the the graphic to to do it, or 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 the highlight. There are some interesting rights issues. Now, some schools are, are basically like, look, you can't do anything in our logo. That's going to get changed pretty quickly. You know, Some schools are going to, be, because other schools are, are going to use this for recruiting and say, hey, man, they don't support your kids. Other schools are going to, are, are, like Michigan, have said, hey, you need to give us like at least seven days notice before entering a sponsorship. That's going to get shot down pretty quickly the first time a Michigan kid has a viral moment that he, that he can't take advantage of. Because if I'm Ohio State, I'm like, look, man, Michigan's old, stodgy. They don't, they don't care about your ability to make money. But with an NFT, so this is interesting to me because this is pretty clearly a way for boosters to funnel money to a kid. Potentially a lot of money well, because it's art. Yeah, the comps aren't there. Right. What is market value right. for an NFT? It, I don't know that there is market value for an NFT. So if I'm you know, Bud Booster and I want to pay a kid... Who's really good, but he's on the bench because we got another stud at our position. You know, like for instance, let, let let's say, um, let's say a Georgia booster, just hypothetically here. They knew Jermaine Johnson was good, but that he wasn't a starter. You know that he was going to be a second stringer. He'd played you know over hundred snaps, but not like five or six hundred. Let's say you want to keep him on your roster, and let's say, all right, hey, what's it worth to what's it worth to you? Maybe ten thousand. A, is that really market value for how famous Jermaine Johnson is? Or hypothetical Jermaine Johnson? B, if you're the school and you give them the, the, the rights to this highlight or this photo for the NFT, are you just giving it to them? Are you asking for a cut on these deals? Like, like are is the school also making money here when its logo is used? I like is it is it just a flat fee? Because in some of these things, it's like, oh wow, look, I got seventy thousand for an NFT. I happen to be a really, really good recruit. Uh, now the school wouldn't get a cut on the recruit because they don't actually own the uh, they don't own the highlight at that point. But like, let's say you're a really good freshman or something. You know, Th- w- what happens there? That, that's sort of a, a really in the weeds thing I'm interested in. Probably not Nolecast relevant, but man, I'm I'm
0: interested. It's a uh, it's a wild new world. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with it. Um I'm I for one am thrilled that it's uh taken place. I've enjoyed some of the conversations about oh who would have made money. Um I will just throw this in and I tweeted this out yesterday. Is Tebow your top guy, by the way? Um, I mean he's he's certainly one of them. He is. Who I really think of, bud, is and this is going back a while, but I some of these college basketball players who were in programs for three or four years in the 80s and 90s and played in massive markets. Oh, like Leitner? Oh, they could have made so much. I mean, kids playing at Georgetown, kids playing at uh, in all these schools along the I-95 corridor. I think, I mean, those kids, not that they necessarily didn't get anything, but those kids could have made an absolute ton of money, do, you know, doing local restaurant groups, stuff like that. Uh, I do think that college basketball, it's so much more relatable. You don't have a helmet on your face. You just, you feel like you know these kids more. In uh, college basketball, twenty years ago, twenty-five years ago, was such a massive deal. Like I think of what Stefan Marbury would have done during his brief period at Georgia Tech, would have been uh, it would have been remarkable. Probably would have been sponsored by the by the Gold Club, and that would have been incredible in and of itself. That was a uh, adult <laughs> an adult lounge that was a mafia run, and uh, Bud, you would be able to appreciate this. I don't know if there's still. The, uh, the Vegas-Atlanta line first half that they took off. But Vegas, you know, frequently had to, uh, had to adjust to visiting teams' performance uh, levels that they would play just because of the nightlife that Atlanta had to offer at the time and, and the gold club and, and uh, was, was right there at the top of the list. But yeah, no, I do think basketball players uh, from a previous era would have been uh, just massively uh, better off had this been in play.
1: I like that. Yeah, I think you're totally right on the college basketball stuff. I just think it's probably for football because he had the the religious element and the people who would support him who, who didn't even root for Florida. I think Tebow would have been the best for football. I think, but there's also guys like like a Brian Bosworth or some of those stars in the '80s. I mean, think about Herschel Walker at Georgia. Like that could have been crazy because he he won them the national title as a freshman. You know that that would have been that'd been pretty nuts. And he's, you know, he's done a lot of commercials. So you want to go, uh, two quickie things here with, uh, with Terry and powers. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll let you lead the way on the Terry conversation. So unfortunately, Tamari and Terry, uh, indicted for what felony murder for a 2018 bar nightclub shooting in, in Georgia reports say gang related. So hope that's not true. Obviously. But you and I were both really skeptical about his draft prospects. I think you especially. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I knew exactly the details of this. There's a reason why we both thought he could go undrafted, And it was because of some of the background stuff, personally.
0: I went back and listened to our uh, post-draft show, and uh, I mentioned this. I will give you credit. (laughs) I, as I'm one to do when I'm uncomfortable about talking a subject, uh, was kind of marble mouth and uh, not nearly as clear as I probably should have been on it. Uh, Both of us mentioned concerns, real concerns, about an off-the-field issue like you. I'm not going to tell you I knew all the details of this. Uh, I did have one or two people that I talked to in the NFL mention that there was a a very serious red flag for them. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. That's a, that's hopefully that's not true. That particular stretch, kind of that Valdosta 75 corridor there. It's, it's not uncommon um, for kids to get, to get kind of caught up in, in, in gang activity, hopefully. And, you know, certainly wish the best for Terry. I hope what he's accused of, uh, he isn't ultimately found uh, guilty, but uh yeah, I mean the Seahawks cut him. Uh, it's it's not a, a great place for him, and yeah, may, may justice be served, whatever way. All right, uh, the other thing to we'll bring up here is Drell Powers, who
1: commits uh, likely by the time you read this. Um, tight end out of Texas, six foot four, two hundred forty pounds. Um, tight end is the worst position on this team right now, currently. I believe you have McDonald, who's fine, nothing special. You have you know two walk-ons who I believe are on scholarship, who. Are not ACC quality players. You know, you have a, a, a JUCO coming off uh, an Achilles injury, and you have or Achilles or ACL, excuse me, uh, and then you have another JUCO you brought in, um, in in Kobe Gross. That's kind of not impressive. I think in the future this room will get a lot better. I do think Powers has a pretty good chance of picking up issue Likely by the time you uh, you you hear this and. We talked about him quite a bit on a prior episode, but just you know, updating the commitment date. I believe he is going to do it uh, on what, July 3rd or July, July 2nd. What, what day is he going? Oh, July 2nd. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, so by the way, something else that's awesome. A team that doesn't make things too complicated. A team which is always there for you. Shannon and Chad at the team at Legendary Home Loans. Just a great group of guys. By the way... Shannon got that Georgia license He passed the test. And that means for all of our great listeners in the state of Georgia, 844 FSU loan, 844 FSU loan have over 160 people now who have closed a home loan with those guys. And we have a couple of shout outs to do here. All right. Shout out to uh, Austin and Christina in Deerfield beach. Congratulations on your new home. Uh, that's the email from Shannon about Georgia on his mind. And then also, uh, Shout out to Titus and Robin, actually friends of mine. Titus used to work down there at IMG for their new home in Tally And then in Ponte Vedra, uh, Matt and Courtney, shout out to y'all for your new home. So awesome stuff there. We'll get shirts out to y'all uh, ASAP, although we're both going on, on vacation. So probably not this week. And uh, man, yeah, 844 episode loan
0: Congrats to Shannon and those guys for getting licensed in Georgia. Let's, let's get those Georgia loans flowing. Uh, All right, we'll move to our listener questions here. First comes from Andrew. Uh, Andrew says there's always talk whether or not a player fits uh, insert coaches names here system. Can you explain to me what type of players coach Norvell and staff are targeting versus previous coaching staff, whether it be size frame mentality, etc. And with that, how do you gauge a player's mentality during the recruiting process? Uh, last November, Coach Norvell stated he's looking for players with five-star mentality. Is that just coach speak and a cover for not actually landing many high-quality players or, in your experience and what you've seen in camps, is he actually targeting a different set of players than Willie was? I think they are
1: targeting a, a little bit different set of players than, than Willie was. Both these sample sets are so small and so weird, you know, with with being the first class of the early signing period and then you know, having Willie's first full-class early signing period. Basically, everything everybody else already had their guys wrapped up. You know, like I think we're seeing now, it's that second full-class, it's that third full-class in the ESP era that really makes things uh, kind of go and, and determinative, which means you need to have more patience with folks overall. I do think they are looking for guys who really like football. And I would say for the most part in this class, they have that. I think there's some kids in his class that I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like I wouldn't have taken them, you know, but either that's because I haven't seen him in person or because I, I don't know. Like I, I, I want somebody who is more about football than he is about the photo shoot. Unless he happens to be really, really good at football. But for the most part, they are making a real emphasis to, uh, to have a lot of guys who, who care about football. They want guys who really, really love the sport Love the game. Uh, not looking for a whole lot of divas right now because they're still trying to flip the culture of this roster, you know. And they have, I think, a whole lot of me guys, and that's been a problem since twenty. What year would you say? Twenty fifth? Probably since twenty sixteen. You know, it really became sort of a more me, me me culture. I'm I'm, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to go to the NFL, which is great. But like, you also have to put the work in to go to the NFL. You have to actually operate as a team. I do think they are considering fit a little bit more than Willie and Jimbo did, especially at the end of Jimbo's time. He, he was basically just talent collecting and then trying to make it fit, which, when it works, it's awesome see 2013. When it doesn't work, you know, see 2016 to 2018, basically, and, and, and the downfall there. Five-star mentality is, of course, it's coach speak. Like, I'm sure you want guys who have a great mentality, but realistically, you're also caring. You know pretty hard about the uh, about the player's talent, and they need to infuse talent into this roster, which I think they're doing offensive line wise I think they guards they're they're pretty similar uh, tackles it's a little bit different they I think they look for a little bit more length than the Ken O'Brien staff on offense was looking for, just because of the differences they they play with in the rpo stuff uh, and because they're you know not always in gun they're they're
0: partially in gun um, that's one thing I, I, I do notice. There's a slightly different type of prospect along the defensive line, but I don't think you'll see maybe as many tweeners as past staffs. Um, so, like, this is... I don't know if you want to call this coach speak. You could probably say that there's somewhat similar comments made by almost any staff that goes into a new program. But, I mean, you'll have coaches on this staff tell you that they wouldn't have recruited current players that are on the roster Based solely off their practice habits and the way that they conduct themselves in, in a meeting room. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, think there's a, I, I think there's a decent amount of legitimacy to that.
1: But, like, if, um, if a new staff came and took over, how many, and, and I think Morvell's staff deserves a bit of a pass for this because obviously it was a pandemic class. But, like, how many guys from the class they just signed or the, or the class that they signed right when he got here are going to be totally recruited over and probably can't play? You know what I mean? Like everybody wants to think, oh, this class, which is rated 23rd, is actually much better. Like I, I don't know. Like for every Kevin Knowles they like, there's probably another kid who gets on campus, and you find out, oh well, shit, he's not as big as we thought he was. He actually can't play. That's gonna be that's gonna be a problem. That's that's why this rebuild is going to take a while. You know, I, I don't think they're gonna make some huge jump in wins next year because they, they need to keep reloading. Like, this is the first real class that I think could actually, you know, have a measurable effect down the line. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot out of that 21 class. Maybe they get some some important pieces, but, you know, uh, I'm not blown away by that. And I'm definitely not blown away by what Norvell signed in in the 20 class, which he only had a couple of weeks to put together. But that's kind of in general across the board,
0: you know, when these staffs are, uh, are trying to put together new classes. Next question comes from... Uh from a favorite questionnaire of mine, anyways. Traveling Snowman chimes in. Over the past 20 years, what Florida State players would have benefited the most from uh the NIL? Would you, or what would your favorite endorsements have been for them? Uh this guy suggests perhaps Sebastian Janikowski sponsor sponsoring a vodka brand. Um and we'd have to extend the window a little bit larger than 25 to get back to old sea bass. but I, I certainly uh I certainly like that suggestion. Uh I mean Dalvin is the first first name that comes to mind uh for me just because he was such a well known entity um during his time and and uh I mean from that 2013 group, bud, is there anybody particularly I mean I think Jernigan would have done okay uh because he's pretty personable and kind of funny and was a hell of a player at the same time. I, I think if you look single season, Jernigan's good.
1: Uh Ramsey to me would would, would be the obvious one because he kept playing really well. You know, throughout his career, he did play three years, um, and was a starter
0: for that entire time. I don't even think he would have had necessarily Ramsey. Somebody that could go on Twitch, in my opinion, and make probably ten thousand dollars in an evening uh, during this at the at the peak of his uh, play. I mean, the guys, you know, first of all, you know it's going to be entertaining because the guy's going to say some crazy stuff, uh, and he was just an out. Just for as outlandish as he is sometimes, he's even a better football player. So, yeah, Jalen. you imagine Jalen going on Twitch uh, after his Miami performance? I mean, I think he, he probably would have done okay that night. Oh, the, 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 the tips he would get would have been incredible.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think. I, I think Lorenzo Booker actually would, would be a good one just because you got to find guys who come in as really high-profile dudes who have the immediate following to where you can actually make money because of the size of your following before you actually do anything on the field. Now he did play as a, as a freshman. So that would help some, the team wasn't ultimately great, but he was a well-known guy, good looking guy who could talk. That's the other thing is like, you got some of these guys in interviews and endorsements, like you can only do Instagram, basically written style endorsements. You can't put this guy on a video because they can't talk. And that's, that's just the case with, with, with some folks and and other folks can not talk. I think Janikowski for vodka or GHB would certainly be a good one. Um, who else here? J- Jameis, had he not had all the stuff happen, would clearly be a, a good one, you know, because he did have a lot of personality to him. Telvin Smith, I think, if you could get an NFT of him hyping up the team before Clemson, that that would do well. I think somebody would actually buy that. Um, and hell, may, may, maybe they still will if he can get the rights to it somehow. But yeah, J- Jalen, by the way, a couple of these guys who ended up having pretty serious legal issues that we just mentioned, um, That would be an
0: interesting example of our our company's going to put morality clauses in these guys' deals. Well, yeah, I mean that's something I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation. Some of these, you're just going to have more real life repercussions based off things that happen, and and uh, you know it'll be interesting to me to see how that transpires and and what it looks like the first time an athlete loses an endorsement uh, and how you know other people respond to it. So,
1: also because you can't tie it. Uh, tie these contracts to a player playing for a certain school you basically cannot if you as a company sign these guys for the entirety of their college career you're running the risk that the guy transfers because you can't put in there hey if he transfers the contract is null and void right um so you basically have to go on a series of one-year deals or just one-offs which is which is my guess but like Let's say a company wanted to do Travis Hunter for his entire career and, and bet on him. You're taking that risk.
0: It's interesting. So Brian's question is uh, just similar to what we've been talking about. How does the NIL impact recruits? Uh, we kind of talked about this when the, the Travis Hunter discussion in general. I'll be fascinated, bud. This is something I've said for a while and um, uh, curious to see if it plays out. In my opinion, within three or four years from now, you know the LSUs, the Alabamas, the schools that value football at the highest level we'll be able to go to a kid and say, you know, like, we have a, a floor here. We, we've got a, a minimum that we can pretty much guarantee you that you'll make, uh, whether it be some kind of group buy where, a you know, Yellowwood, for example, buys the rights to use all of the image and likeness of the current, you know, Alabama or Auburn roster or something like that. I just think that uh, in time, you'll have universities that can kind of guarantee a player minimum, uh, which in my opinion will be the the largest impact on recruiting. Uh,
1: that's an interesting theory. I, I really hadn't thought about that. I, I was talking to Andy Staples about this when we were down at Future 50. And I, what he said was interesting. He Basically, and I think he said this publicly, so I'm not ruining an, an article for him. But he said he, he thought it'd be likely that businesses will find out that most of these guys are not actually worth what is thrown around recruiting-wise. That they would they would rather... Pay the money to a guy existing on the roster, perhaps to keep him from transferring. If you want to go with the sort of you know, nefarious uh, motive, or well, not even nefarious—I don't think there's anything, anything immoral about it—but just the sort of running afoul of NCAA rules motive, you know, paying him to stay on the roster. Uh, but that there's more incentive here for some of these recruits to go to schools where they'll be the big fish in a small pond. You know, would you rather be the 50th guy on Alabama's roster? Which in your in your example, I think you might actually want to be because you're guaranteed a certain minimum by a bunch of these groups just consistently, by, you know, by advertising. Or would you want to be like the number two or number three guy on SMU's roster? That's a fascinating discussion. You know, like the big fish, small pond thing. We used to only really apply to playing time and potentially exposure, but now it could apply to dollars. Not all these kids get get twenty five grand. You know. As recruits, like it's very much a, a model where the best ones get probably a whole lot more than you realize, but not all of them. Not not all, not every kid in these top classes is, is keeping grease. I guarantee you that. Otherwise, the, the stories would come out more. You know, for for every Cam Newton or Tennessee story, or um, you know Arizona State allegedly flying kids in during the pandemic, and uh, SMU and Albert Means, and, and you know all of these like there's a a million examples of schools getting popped for this. It's it's still not as common as people think, I don't think, as far as the big money.
0: All right. So speaking of big money, <laughs> uh ever so fortunate to be able to partner with the For the Table Restaurant Group and uh are ever so excited about their Charlie Park uh project. I mean, Madso and and Township are just fantastic staples of the the Tallahassee scene and and you couldn't ask for a better game day place, but, you know, maybe night before game, if you're traveling in uh, to Tallahassee, give it a look. It's charlieparkrooftop.com. If you're the type that wants a phone number associated with it, it's 850-759-4300. Again, charlieparkrooftop.com. Just go to the website. If nothing else, you'll get a pretty good feel for uh, how this is kind of a totally different option uh on the tallahassee scene and, and something that i am uh very much looking forward to getting uh very very well aware of and familiar with certainly
1: no doubt man it's gonna be awesome can't wait to get up there
0: uh and honestly we should have a party up there uh, we yeah, we most certainly should well, have a like party. like a listener meetup up. Yeah. No, no, that be cool. would be a great place to do it and uh would perhaps avoid some of the the game day surge that we've talked about that is a uh, a challenge at uh, you know township or or Madso. right? Well, that's actually a good example, by the way. Of
1: when, when you're when you're considering a sponsorship, to, to bring it back to the nil discussion, that's why I said like Tim Tebow Tuesday. The value of, of having Tim Tebow to a place on on Saturday is not as much as it is on Tuesday because it's sort of what what is going to be your earnings over normal expectation. You know, if you or I show up to Madso on a Tuesday. We might be able to pack that place, right? If we show up on a Saturday, the place is already packed. H- how many, how many more Bud Lights is Matt and Company selling at MadsO on a Saturday because we're there? Maybe a couple hundred more. Maybe people stick around for a little bit longer. Maybe they get there early to make sure they get a table, at, like as opposed to just popping in, eating, and then going to the tailgate. But they're not going to throw us, you know, two grand, three grand, just to come out on, on a random Saturday. It doesn't make sense for them. It's not, that's not good business. Same thing with an athlete. So I, I, I think that's, well, anyway, that's kind of off course. That's just something i thought about there.
0: Next question comes from Tom. He says, you guys have talked how Travis Hunter, if we land him, will be one of the highest rated recruits we've ever gotten. Can you go through the very top recruits we've signed and how their careers ultimately panned out? Uh, so yeah, we can take a real quick look at this. Uh, according to, to 247, Ernie Sims is the highest rated prospect. Uh, to ever sign with Florida State. And being that his ranking is a uh, a one, that'll be pretty hard to ever touch. I mean, that's going to be as high ranked as you ever see a kid. Uh, all accounts, Ernie Sims, really good college player, long pro career, transpired pretty much how you could hope or want. Uh, Mario Edwards is number two, obviously very successful during his time at Florida State. Maybe not quite as consistent as some would have wanted, but when it was good, Mario Edwards was real damn good. Uh, Travis Hunter is actually the third highest ranked prospect uh, in the history of Florida State recruiting. And um, let's see, Lorenzo Booker is four. Acres is five. Derwin James is six. Travis Johnson seven. Chris Davis. That's kind of the you know seven, seven and eight here are uh, have a twinge of disappointment. And nine, um, yeah. Chris Davis, Fred Rouse. Uh, that. You know, that's kind of, uh, it, well, if I said seven, well, let's, let's see. they kind of jump here. Uh, Travis Johnson is number seven. Yeah. Travis Johnson, I not a, there's a tie there by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, Chris Davis, good player, but not, you know, you want to talk about one of the all-time, just ridiculous high school highlight films. I mean, Chris Davis looked like a more fluid version of Peter Work uh, coming out of high school. And that obviously did not uh, transpire to the field. And Fred Rouse is... Remembered uh, for all the wrong reasons. So, uh,
1: uh, Carlos Williams, obviously, you know, a, a, a disappointment. Um, although, you know, he had some good moments, but uh, I think everybody w- was wondering what would happen if he had played offense the whole time and, you know, could have kept the focus there. But, you know, he, he did make the NFL. Uh, Myron Roll, certainly a, a nice career. Jacob McDaniel, solid career. Brian McFadden, no doubt a hit. Levante Taylor, Not a hit. Xavier Lee, not a hit. Uh, Marvin Wilson, I think you have to say, was a hit. Um, Matthew Thomas, probably a hit. I mean, he when he was on the field, he played fairly well. He just had a lot of problems with staying on the field. I think Josh Sweat, an incredible hit for how bad the leg injury was. So Travis Hunter, number three rated recruit of all time, assuming he signs with that which at this point, I, um, I feel like the kid basically lives in Tallahassee so
0: and only only kind of joking <laughs> it, he's in pretty good company yeah, yeah that's uh that's impressive nice little walk down memory lane for some of those guys all right you so, know what i noticed
1: there too is like dude almost none of those guys busted for on-field reasons mm-hmm. when, when we put you that high you have to really screw up off the field you know what i mean M- maybe it's you know the the stress of having kids with five different women at nineteen years old or robbing teammates right or uh who on that list didn't live up to to their potential who kept it clean off the field maybe Davis, I think, and that's it,
0: yeah, Davis is the only and look, that's a long time ago, and I don't claim to know all the inner workings of the program uh but that's a that's a kid who I think just wasn't a great scheme fit and was probably uh, You know, maybe unfairly done by some of the offensive coaching around him during that time. Right. Exactly. I I would agree with you there for sure. Um, But like these guys who
1: busted out, we can pretty clearly point to either an injury or just
0: not having their act together off the field. All right, Bobby says. uh, When do the individual rankings for the twenty twenty two class become final? I've heard a lot the last month about how recruits' ranking change by a variety of factors that all uh, happen at different times, measurables, size, speed, summer camp performance, who isn't recruiting them and how they play their senior season.
1: All right, so they actually become final uh, in February. Um, we, we do look at, at a variety of factors and we appreciate the question there uh, from Bobby. Um, obviously, like if we get new information on the measurables, that, that can impact it. If we find other prospects who we like better, uh, then that can impact as far as going down. If, if you have a great senior season, maybe you cut some weight or add some weight in a positive way, uh, that can certainly impact your rating. Um, you know, as far as like who is and is not recruiting the player, that does not directly impact their rating. We, we don't put stars on guys based on their offers. Uh, but I also think, just like anything, you need to regress your numbers to the market to make sure that, that, like, generally, if you think your, your, your ideas compared to the market are just completely wildly different, you're going to go broke. The same thing happens here. The same thing happens in almost any kind of modeling situation. You need to find sort of small to medium edges to be more accurate. If you're finding edges that are just completely out of whack, most likely it's not the market that's wrong. It's your model that's wrong. So I say that all to say, look, if there's a player who's committed to Akron and all of a sudden he gets offers from Alabama and from uh, you know, Georgia and USC and FSU and Ohio State, in my opinion, that player merits another look because, there. let's say we had him rated lowly and he was committed to Akron, there might have been a, a situation where we missed something. And likely, all those other schools missed something as well because they waited to offer him until very late. But what did they miss? That's something we want to find out. I think if you don't consider who is offered a player, your rankings will be less accurate because they're not adapting to market input and market conditions. Now, there's some guys in shoes class who I think could potentially rise up you know, in the rankings. And there's some guys who I, I don't think are quite as good as their ranking, especially not as good as perhaps their composite ranking. Um, you know, like there's a composite four-star in their class who I don't think is a composite four-star. And I probably wouldn't even have, you know, as like a top 500 player. Um, and there's, you know, personally, I'll just say, I think Kaniya Charlton, he's got work to do, but I think he's a little bit better than than what he's rated as the worst player in the class. I I don't have him as the worst player in the class. I I haven't seen Brian Courtney, but it, I think I would take Charlton over, over Courtney, just not seeing him. And I think I would take him over Omar Graham. Um, you know, and and I obviously said I I, th- I like him better than Sapp uh, in in the last podcast. So there's certainly some movement that could happen in the rankings for this class. But uh, you know, obviously, Trevion Williams too is, is somebody who I think uh, you know I'm only one voice in the rankings process. But to me, he does look like a four star type kid, not like a no doubt you know top 100 dude. But I, I think he's a, a an impact player for them. But you're going to take all those market conditions into account because if you don't, you're likely to have big time misses.
0: All right. We'll pause real briefly from the list of questions and mention our good friends at Congruity. Congruity has been a fantastic addition for our business, been a great addition for uh, Select Shades and and some of the other people that have since come on. Uh, I know a couple of the entities under the For the Table restaurant group uh, have paired with Congruity as well. And uh, look, it's a, it's a fantastic group that uh, gives you very much a, you know, small business level of, of service. It's a kind of a high touch uh, when it comes to them working with you. And at the same time, they've got all the resources and, and capital behind them uh, to, you know, let them be competitive in a field uh, that is, you know, you have to have a significant amount of backing behind you uh, to even stay, you know, solvent and, and a player in that industry. So, Congruity, uh, is, like I said, has been fantastic for us. We certainly are very confident it would be a great addition to your business. Talk with our good friend, Matt, at 844-247-4100 to find out more. Uh, or you can reach Matt Lewis at Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at CongruityHR.com. All right, folks. Well, this will be a, uh, another episode of the NoCast Certainly appreciate it. Uh, not lacking content uh, or current events to talk about. Uh, we'll be back. We're going to try to provide a, a couple different shows here uh, over the Fourth of July weekend to you. Uh, as always, appreciate your listenership. If you get a chance to share this or uh, give us, you know, five stars on iTunes or wherever else you find us, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. But for myself and Bud, this has been the Knollcast. Talk to you soon. This has been the Knollcast.
1: The Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright. And produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.